This morning we're continuing our study from 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 12 as we're talking about being an example of the belie- or to the believers. And uh, this morning we're going to begin to break down the different aspects of being an example that Paul addresses in the text. Whenever we look at 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. What I want to do first of all is kind of go back and go back over a few things that we talked about yesterday concerning being an example. The word example that Paul uses here means to me a model for imitation. And we looked at several verses in the Bible where we're given the admonition to follow. And we talked about how that the word follow means to mimic. And that we're to look at an example. And ultimately, our ultimate example is to Jesus Christ. And we're to mimic Him and to imitate Him and to follow Him in every aspect of our life. And how that as believers, we are to be a model. We are to be a pattern. And we talked about how that this specific Greek word talks about anything produced by repeated blows. Hence a mark or an impression made by a harder substance on one of softer material. And whenever we look at the picture that the type of model that we're talking about is not just some type of model where we say, here it is, be like this. But rather where we have, as in our illustration, a harder substance a stamp or something like that, making an impression on something that's softer. And we illustrate it and we use that understanding to show that our being an example is not just to be somebody for, just to say, be like Him, but in our living that we want to try to make an impression on the lives of other people. So that whenever those people are around us, they want to be like us. That our impression is such that we want to produce an effect in other people's lives. And I can tell you this week, you're making an impression on me. And hopefully I'm making an impression upon you. Not that we're necessarily going around saying, look at me, be like me. But just by being with one another, we're making an impression in order to help one another be more and more like the Lord wants us to be. Another word that we can use is to be an influence. And so whenever Paul is talking about Timothy, or talking to Timothy about being an example, he's talking about making an impression, producing an effect in people's lives, being an influence by being around each other. And we want to be that type of people towards each other as we walk with the Lord. Another thing that we pointed out is that whenever Paul was talking to Timothy and he told Timothy to let no man despise your youth, that he was talking to Timothy when Timothy was at an age of about somewhere between 30 to 40. Timothy wasn't a preteen. He wasn't somebody that was a teenager at that time. And so the responsibility that we're looking at here, although we want our kids to grow up and be examples, we want them to be impressive people, we want them to be influential people, really the directive is not so much to them to be the example when they go to school or to go to other places out in the world. The directive is to those of that generation above them to create an example that these young people can look to. And as in the case of Timothy, create an example so that those who are older will look at your example and you'll have credibility with them. So that whenever you begin to teach, so that whenever you begin to charge them, that they're going to look at you and not just shake their head and say, oh, he's just a young guy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But they look at your life and your conduct and they think, this is somebody I need to listen to. This is somebody I need to listen to. So in creating or in being an example, 
then we're giving people somebody something to follow, something to look to, something to mimic, but we're also creating credibility for ourselves so that whenever we speak, we speak with a, a, an amount of credibility and authority that people are going to listen to us. <clears throat> and again, we talked about how that the audience for our example is to be other believers. I know in the King James it says be an example of the believer. In other translations, it, it, it seems to imply you need to be what a believer looks like. But I think in studying the grammar in my own study and looking at other translations, really the emphasis is, is on who to be an example to, and that's to be an example to the believers. We want to be examples to the world. We want to be the light of the world. But more importantly than that, we want to be examples to each other. We want to show each other how that we ought to be. And assume that responsibility. Live purposefully to be an example so that whenever I'm around you, I want to live in such a way that whenever you see me, it influences you for good. And you live in such a way that whenever other people see you and interact with you, you're going to influence them for good. This morning we're going to look at being an example in word and in conduct. So we want to live in such a way that whenever people are around us, and they hear us speak, that they're going to walk away saying, hey, I want to talk like that. I want to talk like that. The apostle says, let us be an example to the believers in word. So in other words, you impress people, you influence people, and you affect people by your word. That when you're around them, you impress them that when they walk away, they say, I want to talk like that guy. I want to talk like that lady. The word, word, that's used here, the definition literally means something that's said, including our thought. And by implication, the topic or the subject of our discourse. Whenever people hear you talk, there's a lot of different aspects that draw attention to our words and our conversation. There are the words that we use, and there are the topics that we choose to talk about. And as a believer, I want to impress upon people the importance of using certain words in certain language and talking about certain topics and certain thoughts. If I'm around people or, and you're around people that all they talk about are things of the world, how much money they've earned, all of the fun and exciting things that they do, all of their accomplishments, and you hear all of this discussion about worldly topics, what does that tell you about that person? But when you're around someone that talks about the Lord... When you're around someone that talks about how thankful they are to the Lord and their speech is praiseworthy to the Lord and you see a spiritual focus in their conversation, in the words that they use, that leaves an impression. I know that sometimes I'm in the presence of people and whenever I walk away, I think to myself, boy, I don't talk about the Lord enough. <laughs> Man, I, I, I'm not thankful enough. Because the influence and the impression that they make upon me through the words that they use and through the topics of their conversation show to me that I need to be more like that. 
And whenever you talk, the words that you use and the topics that you talk about are having an influence on the people that you're around. So if I want to be a believer, one of the characteristics of a believer is someone whose words reflect spirituality and whose topics reflect a focus upon the Lord. And let me ask you this, if people hear you talk, is that what they hear? When people hear me talk, is that what they hear? And so if I'm going to be an example, then I need to look at my conversation. I need to look at the words that I use. I need to look at the topics that I talk about and ask myself, do they illustrate the life of a believer? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Paul says, Let no corrupt word, the word word there, the word word there, is the word that we're talking about here. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. You know, whenever we see a statement like this, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, a lot of times we think, well, that just means don't use dirty words. <laughs> don't use profanity. That's not what the word corrupt means. And, and obviously it goes without saying that we don't want to use profanity. But the word corrupt there has a much deeper meaning than just don't use bad words. But rather, whenever we look at this verse, the emphasis is on the effect of the word. And we're glitched again. <laughs> Let me get over here to my notes. The word corrupt means to be rotten or worthless. And my words can be rotten and worthless... And I can speak very eloquently and be rotten and worthless. You know, I think a lot of times about complaining. Whenever we complain, we may not use profanity and we may not use words that are, that, 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 that are, that are vile, but just complaining. What is the effect that that has on people? And that's what Paul is talking about. Thank you very much is the effect of our speech. Is my speech something that's necessary for edification? To edify means to build up. And so if my speech then is something that doesn't build up and actually tears down, then it's corrupt. It's corrupt. How many times do we use our words to build up? How many times do we use our words to tear down? When you're using words and I'm using words to tear down, that's corrupt. That's corrupt. Paul says that it might be something that will impart grace to the hearers. That's something that I noticed in studying about the word word is that grace is attached to its meaning and its influence. Now that doesn't mean that we don't, you know, talk about hard things and we don't talk about difficult things. A lot of times we think, well, if our speech is going to be gracious, it's just always going to be soft and flowery. That's not what grace means. I mean... You can be gracious and you can talk about hard things and you can talk about real things and you can talk about difficult things, but you do it in a way that doesn't tear down, but rather it builds up. And whenever you're in the presence of people that are involved in conversations that are tearing down and not imparting grace, but maybe is, is spreading bitterness and spreading anger and spreading malice, we don't want to be that type of people. But we want to speak and we want to understand the power and the influence of our words. You know, and again, I think about, when I think about corrupt speech, I think about complaining. <clears throat> if we're a group of people that are constantly complaining, 
that's corrupt speech. That's corrupt speech. And we have to be very careful and very measured about how we express our opinions about things to people because we don't want to indicate them a spirit of discontent. We're Christians. We're supposed to be content. So if I go to the restaurant and I have a bad experience and I can't get over it and I'm talking about it constantly, (laughs) that's corrupt speech. That's just rotten. It's worthless. It does nothing to build anyone up. It does nothing to minister grace. All it does is just help me to vent and help me to feel good. And all the while I'm trying to feel good, I'm poisoning everybody around me. So be careful about the expressions of your discontent. I use that example as a restaurant. We went out to eat with my son and he was seeing a young lady and it was the first time we went out to eat and uh, we went to a place and we got a steak and my steak was terrible. (laughs) And I could have said a whole lot about it. But I'm sitting there thinking, you know, this is the first time this girl's met me. Do I want her to think that I'm a complainer? So, you know, we just choke it down and... And, oh, you know, we enjoyed the time together. (laughs) And so we have to be careful about the power and the influence of our speech. Colossians 4 and verse 6, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. The attitude of our speech. Again, we're not talking about just speech that's always positive and flowery, but rather we're talking about speech that people are able to accept and receive. That we speak in a seasoned way so that whenever we have to say the hard things to people, we don't say them with an attitude of contention or derision towards them, but we're able to graciously express ourselves in a way that's going to have an influence for good in the life of the people. We don't want people to be distracted by the way we say something and not hear what we have to say. We want to talk in a way that, again, is going to minister grace and edification. In Titus 2, verses 6 to 8, whenever Paul was telling Titus, Titus, you be a pattern of good works. This is very similar to what he told Timothy. And he tells him to be a pattern of good works and doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned that one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say to you. The word sound means to be healthy, to be well. And so whenever we think of sound speech, a lot of times we think of speech that's truthful, that's sound in doctrine. And we, again, obviously want speech that's truthful and sound in doctrine. But we want to speak that truth as the Apostle Paul says... In love. Speak it in a way that's going to produce health and well-being to those who hear what we have to say. Does our speech, do our words manifest that type of, uh, of, of graciousness and edification? Especially whenever our kids hear us talk. We have to be very careful in demonstrating towards them how that we ought to speak because that's a a skill, that's a manner that a lot of kids aren't being exposed to anymore. I can't, you know, I hate this. (laughs) This is stupid. That's just the way 
you know, kids in the world are, are, are expressing themselves anymore. This is dumb. Just very crass, just very, very, very rude, very discourteous. And we want to be the type of people that when we express ourselves, we express ourselves in a way that promotes health and well-being in those that we're talking to. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. You know, whenever we are confronted about something that we said or how we said it, we don't want to be that person, but we want to be that person that after we speak, that we speak in such a way that everything is true about what we said, but how we said it also cannot be impugned, even by those who might be against us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 12, the, the wise man Solomon says, The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Gracious speech. You know, we talked Sunday about how that we're to stand in grace and that grace is to infuse us and, and change our nature and, and our being. And one of the ways that that is reflected is in our speech. And so we want our speech to manifest the grace in which we stand in. Proverbs 15 verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath. And this is critical for us to understand. And that is, how is your speech in critical and difficult situations? Whenever other people's speech goes to a lower level, do we take our speech to a lower level? Or does the gracious nature that we're infused with by God's love teach us to keep our speech elevated? Even though the other person may be angry, even though the other person may be using harsh words, even though the other person may be using contentious words, do we speak graciously in order to turn away wrath? You know, that's one of the things about your example and my example, and that is our example is going to be manifested to its greatest degree when we're in adverse situations. Because it's whenever we're in adverse situations that the true nature of our character is exposed. So I can sit up here and just talk eloquently and read scriptures and talk about grace all day long and then go out in the world and somebody does something that I don't like and then all of a sudden I start getting mad and clamoring right back at them. What have I done for my influence? But if in that situation I'm able to speak softly and I'm able to use words that are gracious... And again, whenever we're in conflict, that doesn't just simply mean that you're just, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, okay, calm down, I'm sorry. I'm, no, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you acquiesce and you avoid conflict, but it just simply means that in that instance, I'm going to speak truth, but I'm going to speak it in a very calm, rational, gracious manner that's going to contribute to building up and not tearing down. In James chapter 3, verses 8 to 12, No man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. For if we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God, or with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who are made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. 
Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives or grapevines bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt and fresh water. Whenever our young kids are listening to us talk, if they hear us praising God and blessing God with one voice and then in another voice cursing people, talking bad about people, talking evil about people. What's the message that they're getting? It's not a good message, is it? And whenever you hear people who on one hand bless God, but on the other hand they they curse and revile people, what are you going to think about that person? Which manifestation is going to be more influential in your opinion of that person? We don't say, well, he's about... 60% good and 40% bad. (laughs) No, but rather we see a heart that's not right because it's a heart that speaks cursing. Don't curse people. Don't talk bad about people. Well, it's true. Even if it's true, don't talk bad about people. You know, I hear that a lot of times. Well, well, it's true. We've got to have a filter. And just because something is true doesn't mean that it has to be said. Just because you're thinking something, you know, people pride themselves, well, I speak my mind. That's not a good thing. (laughs) Because I'm guaranteeing you there's some things that go through your mind that and go through my mind that other people don't know about. And we speak, we think speaking our mind is a virtue. No, speaking our mind is a weakness. Because it shows that we don't have the self-control. It shows that we don't have the judgment and the discretion to know the occasion and the people that we're talking to and the type of influence that we want to have. I'm just going to speak my mind. That's foolish. That's foolish. And again, a lot of people speak that with pride. And it's not something to be proud of. We don't want to curse people and then praise God. That sends a different message to these kids. And it's not a good example. And so whenever we look at our words, and we want to be exemplary in our words, in how we express ourselves, we want to do it in a way, number one, we want to talk about good topics. We want to use good words. We want to speak in a way that's going to build up. We want to speak in a way that's going to be gracious. And we want to speak in a way that's going to bless others and glorify God. Is that your example? Is that my example? The next thing that Paul says is to be an example of, to the believers in word and in conduct. In other words, whenever people are around you and when people are around me, we should want them to walk away and say, I want to act like that. I want to act like that. The word conduct means our conversation. Life as made up of our actions. So we're talking about how we act, how we conduct ourselves. You know, whenever you look at these words, they're, they're very general and they're very broad. And, and, and the challenge is, is to, to try to zero in on exactly what it is that we need to understand about, okay, how do I need to be an example in word? How do I need to be an example in conduct? Whenever I look at the word conduct in the New Testament, there's a couple of words that are always associated with it. Well, I say always, but a lot of times it's associated with it. In 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 16, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope 
fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to your former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Peter had several things to say about conduct. And in his discussion about conduct, there's two words that he mentions a lot in association with it. Number one is the word holy. And number two is the word lust. Holy and lust. The word holy means something that is sacred. To have veneration and awe for. And whenever he says that we are to be holy in all of our conduct, what is the type of example that I want to set by my conduct? The type of example that I want to accept, to, to set, the impression that I want to make is that my conduct is a reflection of my awe and my reverence and my veneration towards God. That's what I want people to walk away from me thinking. I want to be holy like Him. You know, the word sacred means something that's set apart. And whenever you look at the word holy in the Bible, and again, a common definition of the word holy is to be set apart for God's use. Whenever you look in the Old Testament, how that all of the different instruments that were used in God's service, they were set apart for God's service. So if something was designated for God's service, you didn't take it and use it for just an old common and everyday service. If there was an altar that was sacred and holy and sanctified towards God, you didn't have a barbecue on it. If there was a laver that was used for, for ritual washings and, and, and for cleansing to be in God's service, you didn't just go take a common bath in. It was something that was for God. And that's what I want, and that's what you should want, your conduct to reflect, and that is that my life is for God. And that's why he says in verse 14, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. When we live in this life, when we conduct ourselves in this life, our conduct is determined by one or two things, God or lust. That's it. It's that simple. <laughs> God or lust. Either I'm doing this out of an awareness of my sanctity in the family of God and the purpose that God has set me aside for, or I'm doing it because of a desire for this world. And as Christians, we want our conduct to reflect that, that I'm living for God's purpose. I'm living as sanctified for the Lord. 2 Peter 3 verse 11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons you ought to be in holy conduct and godliness. And so he talks about in 2 Peter chapter 3 how that everything in this world is going to be dissolved. Everything in this world. Everything that we would lust for. Everything that we would desire for in this world. It's all going to go up in a plume of smoke and it's all going to be broken down to its very elementary elements and it's all going to be dissolved away. So what's the logical thing to do? Live and conduct my life out of lust for those things? Or to live and conduct my life for God? And so in my conduct that I'm trying to set an example, how many times do people hear you or see you say no 
to things of the world. How many times do they hear or see you denying the world and choosing things of God? You know, here's an opportunity to go do something fun in the world. Here's an opportunity to do service to my brothers and sisters. What am I going to choose? That's an opportunity to set a powerful example. And when I say powerful, I mean powerful in a negative way or a positive way. Because when anyone sees us make a blatant choice against God, that leaves a mark. And it's not a good mark. But when people see us consistently making choices to conduct our way, our life, in things of God, that leaves an impression. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, Paul says, or rather Peter says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil of, against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So here again is the word conversation. And notice that it's referenced to the word lust. That as we live in this life, we abstain from fleshly lust. And the word abstain literally means to know, to stay away from. And there's an implied attraction to something. Whenever you are told to abstain from something, it's because we have a tendency or a desire for it. I don't have to abstain from asparagus. <laughs> I have no desire for it. You put asparagus down in front of me and I, there's no attraction, there's no draw to it at all. But if you put a good old cheeseburger, <laughs> I've got to abstain. Because there is a draw. There is a desire. There is an attraction. And so when we see the word abstain, that means you're going to have to be purposeful in this. You're going to have to put forth some effort. That there's going to be times when you're going to have to say no, and it's going to be hard to say no. Saying no is not always easy. And sometimes I think that we think that it ought to be. Well, if it's not easy to say no, then I'm not going to say it. But the decisions in our life that matter the most are a lot of times those decisions when it's hard to say no. When you fight that battle, when you abstain from that lust, and you have your conversation, as he says here, honest. And the word honest means valuable and virtuous for appearance or use. So is my conduct something that looks good? And is my conduct something that is useful? That's the type of exemplary conduct that we like to have. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, to put off concerning the former conduct. So your former behavior, your former actions. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So there are those two words again in reference to conduct, lust and holiness. Which are you going to live by? Which are you going to act upon? That's going to determine the nature and the character of your example to these young people that are looking up to you and these older people that are looking down for you, checking out your credibility. 
Hebrews 13 and in verse number 7. Paul says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. We looked at the word follow. How did it mean to imitate? Here the writer is talking about those that rule over you. Those spiritual leaders. Look at their conduct and consider the outcome of it. You know, if I want to know how to act, then all I need to do is look at older people and look at the outcome of their life. And look at their conduct, and if the outcome of their life is good, then that might be some conduct that I want to mimic. If you're a young couple, look for an older couple who demonstrate a marriage that is a godly marriage, a marriage that is fulfilling, a marriage that is a blessing, a marriage that produces happiness and and spiritual growth in both partners, and sit down with them. What do you do? How do y'all do this? And imitate them. And imitate them. Young people, look at people that are where you want to be. And look at their conduct. What do they do? And imitate them. And follow after them. Have examples in your life. Find people that are what you want to be and imitate them. You have examples all around you in your congregation, and in other places. Hitch your wagon to those people and follow after them. So whenever we look at being an example of a believer in word, I want to have speech that produces a good effect in the lives of people. I want to speak truthfully. I want my speech to be healthy. And I want my speech to be gracious. I want it to be speech that builds people up and ministers grace to them. I want to be an example in my conduct. I want to act in a way that expresses holiness and veneration for God as opposed to living according to the lust of this world. That's the challenge that's before you and the example that Paul is calling you to set and the example that he's calling me to set. And again, we have to understand that when we live our lives, there are eyes that are on us. You know, I know you've been watching me this week. Not because I think, oh, well, you know, they're going to watch me because I'm some great... No, I'm not. That's what you do. Here's a new guy among us. What's he all about? What's he all about? But here's the thing. I've been watching you too. (laughs) I've been watching you too. And just like you're watching me and you're trying to figure me out and look at my example and hear my words and listen to my conduct, I'm doing the same thing with you. Because that's what we do. That's what we do. And we have to realize that that's, if that's what we do, then we need to be prepared. And we need to be ready that everything that you hear from me and everything that you see in me has an influence for good on you. And you need to be sure that everything that you say and everything that you do has an influence for good on me. And I'm not saying be fake. We all have our issues. We all have our problems. I'm not going to be myself around you. (laughs) 
and you're not going to be yourself around me till we get comfortable with one another. And we want to show our best side to people, and there's nothing wrong with that. Because we want to be an influence. And so I would encourage you this morning to think about your influence in your word and think about your influence in your conduct. And let's all set influences for each other that are going to be impressionable, influential, so that we can all grow together and be more and more like the ultimate example, Jesus Christ.